some stuff right now. Very cool. Any, How are you uh, guys? Any fun... I'm doing good. Any fun stuff you uh, you working on? Um, just work stuff. Yeah. Well, no, it's not just work. Stuff. It's it's a lot of stuff. Um, I guess I can disclose it. Doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. So I'm currently working on. You guys know Omerta, the band that I've been working with. Yeah. 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 Right. So I've been working on their uh, new record. Um, we had to delay it because of some stuff with their artwork getting rejected by uh, streaming services uh, distributors. So I decided, <laughs> right, right, yeah. So I guess like thought it would be best for us to just add another song and make the album a little bit more worthwhile since they had to wait anyway. And we're also dealing with some other stuff regarding that nothing bad it's just they've garnered a lot more interest since our initial announcement for that release and so we've got more eyes on us and some parties that may or may not be interested in helping us out with the release so we're currently in the talks about that and i'm just polishing up the record to get it to a much better state than it was like however many months ago i'm doing that and then I'm also doing some work for my job. I work crypto, the blockchain. I don't know if you guys are familiar with like Ethereum at all. Sure, yeah, yeah. Are you <laughs> Ethereum? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just it's a it's a it's a cryptocurrency. Anyway, there's just like a big event happening like tomorrow, so just trying to keep up to date on that and other things. Nothing too crazy. Just stuff. Stuff. It's always stuff. No. Um, yeah, I have to keep it kind of nebulous. What's up? <laughs> um, but yeah, working on Omerta stuff. That's cool. I. Uh, yeah, Joe. Joe's a big fan. I. I mean, we we both are, but Joe especially has been talking up Omerta for a while. So, I'm I'm very excited oh, to hear yeah. the new stuff. I know people were kind of stoked to. There was a, there was a song that was going to drop a little while ago, and then it kind of just fell through. I assume that's to do with the artwork problem. Yeah, that was the EP. Yeah. Right. So that is still on its way out then, which is good news. I just assume in a, in a much more delayed fashion than it what was once planned. No, I'm just not because obviously we were going oh, yeah. go, we were going to that live show in the UK. Also, Mert was supporting, so I was like, yes, get to see Mert in the UK. Not happening anymore. Obviously, now it's gone to the US, so it's still happening, which is good for him. But yeah, I was quite good. Would have been cool. It would have been cool to see Mert live, but obviously I mean, that was a barrier show anyway, so it would have been a bit. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping I'm to come back over here. Probably hoping next year, at some point, because obviously there's yeah, there's a few cool like, all the videos I've seen. I see of them live. Like there's a few from that Houston show a few weeks ago, and also the LDB set on Hate Five Six, and it just looks really fucking good. So I was I was fucking gutted when that tour got cancelled, and obviously now moved. So yeah, that was super unfortunate, but. Um... To tell you the truth, I think they are going to be making their way over the pond sooner than later. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure, but it seems like there's a lot more interest in getting them overseas. So I'm sure it'll happen. I hope so. I'd love to see it. They, they fit great on a, a, a bill like a outbreak festival kind of kind of bill, I think. And if they played that next year, that would be fantastic because I would uh, love to see them. Oh, yeah, a bunch of other great hardcore bands. Yeah, that'd be awesome. 
mostly today, I think we kind of want to just talk about a spectrum of things to do with you, if that's cool with you, like ranging from earlier in your career to sort of stuff you're doing now, if uh, if that's something you're cool with talking about, like dark complex stuff. Yeah. I'm done to talk about anything. So. Sweet. Sweet. I'm, uh, I'm glad about that because, I mean, just a bit of background, I was... Uh, Despite the fact that I'm all the way over in the UK, like when Widow came out, like I got put on that by one of my friends who lives in the lives in the states, and that became a very, very quick favorite of mine. Uh, and I've kind of stuck with Dark Complex for as far as it went, I suppose you could say. Uh, and uh, yeah, I kind of wanted a little bit of insight on uh, on some of that stuff and how how everything kind of developed over time, because I know that I mean. Obviously, not much is known about the ins and outs of it, I suppose, on a public, public level, but I suppose that, that band had a quite a, a quiet, unceremonious demise over time. Is that, was that true, <laughs> would, you, would you say? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's super accurate, actually. Um, do you want me to just go ahead and like go into it? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, super awesome that you cared about Dark Complex. It's funny just because like, I was so young when the band started that... And also, like, just super unfamiliar with anything regarding social media marketing or, like, follower counts or even, like, Spotify streaming numbers, that all of this stuff was just so foreign to me. And it was, like, basically, like, they were just numbers on a screen. They meant nothing to me. So it's cool to see that, like, people will come around and be like, oh, yeah, I loved your band. And I'll be like, this is crazy. I didn't know so many people actually cared about what we were doing. Um yeah, I I see like the 1056 hoodie too. I feel like that band took a lot of notes, influences from uh, like I guess like my friend group at the time, like Sworn In, Villains, yeah. Gift Giver, Barrier, all that. Because I've listened to them and I thought the same thing. Like, oh wow, this sounds like some villain stuff. It does. It does. Yeah. It's like it's like if villains tuned even lower. Like I feel like you get that proper like. Uh, what's the word like guttural but in the literal sense of the word rather than like the vocal style i guess it's like the just visceral grit of it with like just raw emotion <laughs> it's just pissed yeah. off all the time which is stuff that you're on like 10 code and yeah, uh, yeah death card and stuff like that and even widow like it's that kind of thing but with like a modern sort of gent context i suppose i guess you'd say yeah well I mean, I don't want to go off on a tangent too much about this. So, like, I don't know how much time you guys have allotted for this. It's as so much time as you want, my friend. All right, all, right. All. all right, then I'll go off on a little tangent here. Go for so, it. So, personally speaking, I was just, like, around the time of the demise of Dark Complex, I guess. Maybe even, like, after Widow, I would say, like, 2015-ish. I would say even 2014, like, when we were done recording the record. I was just super tired of um, that style of music. Like, I had written Widow as like an assortment of demos starting from when I was like 17. And by the time I was 19 or 20, that's when like I finished the record. And um, at that point, it was all just like a collection of these songs about my depression or like other mental obstacles that i was facing at the time you know super crucial years transitioning from a high school student to a college student sounds kind of mundane but 
at the time, there were a lot of other personal things that I was facing. And so for me, it was really important to get that out there um, in the form that it took. But after I was done, I was kind of like also done musically with that. That's not to say that I didn't still have an interest in heavy music or metal or rock or what have you. But rather, I was just so uninterested in pursuing that specific form of expression in heavy music. So like the new metal core sound, I guess. So um, come the follow-up point Oblivion, I think we all share that same sentiment, like everyone in the band. Um, and this does lead into what you had asked about earlier, the demise. There's more to it. I'm just going to like talk about what's relevant here anyway. We were all kind of burnt out. Our interests were very, obviously, we took a lot of inspiration from stuff outside of metal. I would say even more so than like metal, rock, whatever itself. Um, like at the time, I know we were really into like Raider Clan, for example, or Sad Boy. Um, I guess now that would be like the equivalent of um, Drain Gang. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember Sad Boys. I do, I do. Like Young Lean stuff back in the day. Right, right. Young Lean. And then um, Drain Gang, who was at the time uh, Gravity Boys, I believe. And Shield Gang. Um, But yeah, that was what we were big into. Um, Yeah, so not really the biggest fans of heavier music. Just because I feel like throughout most of my early adulthood, Heavy music kind of had the ball smithed off of it. Sworn In, the death card, was the first time I'd heard a record in so long where I was like, oh, this is like, this gives me the same feeling that I had when I first heard like a breakdown in Linkin Park or in like a, like, I don't know, like a heavy metalcore song, something super like primitive. It was just, it was so visceral, it was so raw. But it was, it, was, it was polished enough for me to listen to it regularly and put other people onto it. Like, it translated well. It was accessible. But at the same time, like, Tyler Denon's vocal performance, uh, Chris George's musicianship, it was all just so on point that I feel like nothing since that, like, wave of heavy music at that time, at least in metalcore specifically, really like captured that feeling better than whatever we were all doing at that specific moment now i'm not trying to like blow smoke up my own ass or anything or our own asses i guess but it was just it was a very special and particular moment and i feel like you had to be there to really understand like how counter this was to the prevailing trend of like uh very like show-offy flashy trendy like gent music which seemed to be everywhere. It was like musical virtuosity and technicality completely overtook the expression of like raw, real emotion. And even just something as simple as like a catchy hook. So again, just going back to the point at hand, by the time we were writing the follow-up, we felt like everything that could have been done had already been as far as like that sound was concerned. Like we can't go further than we were going because if we wanted to, like one of our peers had probably already done that. 
when you have when you're surrounded by bands as talented as like Gift Giver, Villains, Sworn In, Barrier, whoever the fuck was adjacent to us, there's like there's not much more you can really do with that sound template. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no, completely. Uh, and I mean, just sort of to connect it to my own sort of experience back in that time, I remember hearing bands like bands like you guys and like villains or i guess youth forever as, as they went to in their later years um sworn in with like the with the death card specifically and i was like this is the sound i want to hear right now and um like you said there was just something like raw within that especially in like the death card with like just the super hyper and villains as well just like super hyper depressive lyricism and this emotive vocal performance over some pretty gnarly instrumental work um it definitely uh, you guys were definitely part of a wave of of stuff that i suppose is now sort of uh transformed over to bands like alpha wolf or dealer well not dealer anymore but that kind of that at one point dealer i suppose it's that new metalcore sound that started with bands like like you guys and, and all the people within that era and has kind of shifted towards where it is now to a more mainstream version of itself i suppose it's kind of gained its own legs and sort of just started running off into the distance and it's now it's now very much its own its own accepted genre whereas at the time i'm sure as i'm i'll get into with like reception with with this stuff people did not respond well in terms of like critical stuff to this stuff like i remember the death card was put up with bands like a as like the most hated shit <laughs> like in in the metalcore world by these like weird backward thinking fucking people and then you get like to kind of call forward something that's in my notes that i think it was stereogram article about you guys um which called you guys like the worst band in america or some bullshit like that some like ridiculously hyperbolic hit piece basically where where this very very bitter resentful weird guy i'm pretty sure we've talked about this on twitter before by the way i had i remember yeah. distinctly having this conversation on twitter with you before but like m weirdly like racist kind of attack on on what was I, I couldn't even fathom what he was saying about it and that was just kind of the prevailing attitude around that at the time and now it's such an accepted genre and that sound is so normal to people uh, maybe not in the exact same form as it was, but that that I, I it's in, insane to me that like nine, ten years ago, and even up to Point Oblivion, like six years ago, this is how people felt about that so much that you know this hit piece was put out on the internet. I'm pretty sure it still comes up if you just type "dark complex" into Google. Like it will come up, and it's just this like vitriolic shitstorm. And, then, and that was the that was the prevailing attitude about it. So I kind of want to know what within within being in not only that band but also part of that scene, like uh, knowing that you had something special in your hands and that you'd accomplished so much with it, and obviously that it's done its own thing since then. What was it like doing that, but equally uh, being no doubt wary and and aware of uh, these this barrage of negativity coming into it? <clears throat> yeah so i guess to expand on what i'd said previous um 
I also just realized that there was really nowhere further the sound could go. Mm-hmm. And as much as I was like annoyed and pressed about the stereo gum article, part of me could also understand why they had that sentence. So I wasn't super like upset about it. It was just more so the personal attacks, which I, I felt were super unnecessary. Like the writer definitely just, he had a chip on his shoulder for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't know. Like it's always just been that new metal has been the most hated genre in heavy music, bar none. And every permutation has had the exact same perception by the, I don't know, critics. So Point Oblivion, obviously, like I said, was kind of like our response to what we perceive to be um, like a, a like a lack of potential in the genre. Like there was no more, there was no further that we could push it. We could try and like make it mainstream or whatever, but I didn't feel like I didn't feel like I would have any conviction in making that again. Like I couldn't make a widow part two and feel convicted about the emotions that I was expressing. They'd be so inauthentic because I didn't feel the same way. I had moved on from a lot of those things. And um, for lack of better words, I just didn't care to be that person any longer. And I don't think any of us really did. Point Oblivion was kind of us being like, well, let's do what would, I don't know, what we would want to do if we were bigger, I guess. Like if in this alternate reality where we never made Widow and we were just like making the music that we'd always wanted to hear growing up, what would it be? And a lot of us, for a lot of us, the answer was, well, I really loved what like new metal and like alt rock was doing when I was a kid, but it kind of died out after Meteora, Linkin Park's uh, second album. So what if we just took the things that we were interested in or inspired by, like, you know, as a younger child and make an updated version of that? Not too much updated, but updated just enough to where like it's it makes sense. I guess with the contemporary landscape of heavier music, but you can also clearly tell that this is like, this is the spirit of whatever was inspiring uh, those artists 20 years prior. So that was kind of like what Point Oblivion was meant to be. But at the same time, there's also, you know, a lot of other factors like label involvement, producer bullshit, um, management stuff that really just, it, it, it turned what could have been a really cool record into something that I'm not proud of at all, but I digress. Basically, once the record came out and I saw the uh, hit piece, it made sense to me. Like, I couldn't find it entirely that disagreeable, but simultaneously, like, you know, it was just like, it was really annoying. It was a yeah. personal thing. It, the reputation of that definitely followed me around for a while, too. Because it wasn't just that when you Google Dark Complex, it pops up on Stereo Gum. It's also um, someone had found the article and posted about it in the Houston subreddit. And <laughs> so for like, I don't know, like a week or so, or I don't know how, how long exactly. It was like trending on the Houston subreddit. It was like a big thing. Not like super huge, right? Like not too many people are on the Houston subreddit. But right. people were just like, oh, yeah, this band fucking sucks. Oh, I remember this band, like da, da da da, whatever. And I was like, I cannot believe this. Like, <laughs> our whole city hates us. 
<laughs> you gone from like local scene darlings to like everybody fucking hates you in five minutes because of some bullshit chip on your shoulder article. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But again, just going back to it, I have to say that the sentiments that were specific towards the music that this guy expressed, I understood because they were the same reasons that we had for not liking the music ourselves. But at the same time, like the alternative, I guess what I'm trying to say is the alternative to Point Oblivion, um, aside from the record that we originally wanted to make, right? Like if we had made a Widow Part 2, I cannot imagine it having sounded any differently from like what Alpha Wolf sounds like or Victims or whatever the fuck. Those bands that, I mean, no disrespect to them personally, I don't like their music. I've never liked their music. It's 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 like if you took everything that was original and creative about what we were trying to do at that time, threw it in a blender, and like tried to make something more palatable, like with all the balls snipped off of it, and with like half the emotion and half the creativity. And it sounds super critical, and I totally understand that. And I'm not trying to sound pompous. I just don't like I don't understand how you can listen to the death card and then listen to like a band that's doing what essentially they did better. Not even like, I don't know, a few years ago. It doesn't make sense to me. I feel like it just doesn't scratch the same itch. So I guess the question then is like, what itch does it scratch exactly? Like what do people get out of hearing these bands do something that's arguably less authentic or even even if we're talking just like superficially less creative than what had been done prior is it just that it's more accessible like i i suppose that 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 could be it but i don't know what what do you guys think i suppose um is it you know as someone uh, i guess in a way that kind of i guess a band like sworn in and obviously early stuff was like new metal, I guess new metal core became popular, more popular in about what, like twenty seventeen, and obviously yeah. a lot of labels like Sharp Tone and all that kind of jumped into it and obviously put their capital behind it. So I just, it's, I guess in my way when I think about it, it's like that's it's one of those ones that I guess that's all people know. Like you know, I would be curious to know that people who listen to victims who I have mixed feelings on. Um, yes, yeah, Alpha, Alpha Wolf. Who yeah, I like Alpha Wolf. I've called them a, a bit over the years, um, but yeah, I probably because I, I I know I know a few people who are very much into like a band like Victims or Alpha Wolf. But then I I know that not to sound arrogant, but I know if I went, oh, do you like Sworn In? Oh, you know, do you like Dark Complex? Do you like more of those bands like that? They'd probably go like, well, I've heard of them, but I don't listen to them. So I think it's just maybe like they scratch that itch to those people because. They say unaware. They're basically just unaware. <laughs> not, yeah. Not sound too mean, but <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I suppose I kind of have a similar experience in that as well, where um, I definitely I don't listen to victims. I, I have I've tried it. I don't. I'm not really into their music. But the um, for Alpha Wolf, I also didn't like them for years. I like their most recent record. I think that's good. Um, but it definitely isn't the same as that kind of earlier stuff. And I've definitely found in the past where people have popped up and said, oh, I really love this new Alpha Wolf record, or I love this new Dealer record, I love this new Victims record. And I, I you know, nine times out of ten, I'm like, 
Have you heard, like, Widow by Dark Complex? Have you listened to The Death Card by Sworn In? And usually the answer is, annoyingly, no. And I found that a lot of people who do still actively listen to stuff like The Death Card or Ten Code or, or Freudian Slip or whatever haven't moved on to bands like Alpha Wolf. Very frequently, people who listen to, like, the, the I say, the sort of uh, proto-new metalcore stuff or, like, even, even up to, like, early Loathe material, um, like, it's very much, uh, there's a separation there. I think a lot of people who really jumped onto the new metalcore bandwagon when it became a sort of more mainstream accepted genre, they there's just like it's almost a different generation. It's almost a different generation. But that doesn't mean we can't re-educate these people. They're not they're not uh, past the point of rehabilitation. I can definitely try and put them on stuff like <laughs> Widow and uh, and Ten Code. I definitely and I definitely have tried. It's not. It's like. I feel like there's so much more connection that people can make with music like that than something like Mono or Quiet Place to Die. Well, you know, on that topic, sorry, I don't know if someone else wanted to talk. No, you're good. Um, all right. Yeah, so I guess that, that does make a lot of sense because I feel like they've kind of carved out their own scene. That, mm -hmm. like, it didn't succeed what we were doing necessarily. It was just a different thing altogether. And it makes sense. But, you know... All criticisms aside, I think it's really cool that they actually took the sound that far. It's crazy to see how big they're getting and that they're, you know, doing really well for themselves and all. I just, at the time, and obviously now, it just doesn't connect to me. That kind of music, like, the melodramatic, suicidal lyrics, the self-loathing, all that shit, it's, it's so juvenile and so insincere like especially the fucking like vocal performances a lot of the time it's like oh i'm losing my fucking mind or whatever it's just it's so stupid and it doesn't it doesn't sound human it doesn't feel real to me when you listen to bands like slipknot and their self-titled or horns earlier records up until like issues and you listen to even like early limb biscuit for example you listen to lincoln park's first two records etc etc the things that were compelling to me about those bands and those records they felt human they felt real they felt emotional they felt authentic they felt genuine i felt like someone was talking to me through those records and it was never this like weird contrived attempt at essentially throwing yourself like a metalcore pity party and i felt like after widow after i had expressed that that was it like i couldn't do it again it just any other <laughs> Anything else about like suicide or whatever just would not make any sense. I mean, I've already beaten that point into the ground, but I guess what I'm trying to get at is just the fact that there's a time and place, I feel like, for that kind of music to exist. And then there are going to be the people that make it and the people that, you know, do it really well and do it authentically. And then there are going to be people that do it well and maybe they're not as concerned with like the art in particular. Maybe they're just trying to make badass music that they think is sick and whatever. And that's cool too. But that's kind of where I fall off from being interested in pursuing that any further. And I guess that segues into my point about Omerta or like Vincent Void or whatever. For me, heavy music is still great. There's so many good heavy bands, right? Like I think Vane, obviously like critical darling but also just a great a uh, great band with a couple great records under their belt um i think code orange is great 
not the biggest fan of underneath but i mean great band regardless forever is great though <laughs> yeah forever is amazing yeah, <laughs> also those say. two singles um the singles one of them they dropped with uh cory taylor those songs are great too. is it th- uh, three knives and all like that that's uh yeah three knives that. and like on the run or something yeah super great songs great songs yeah those, those songs are sick um yeah i guess like more of like the hardcore centric stuff really like sanction another great band uh just stuff like that they're really um at least to me they're embodying more of the spirit that sworn and had than say like i don't know alpha wolf like for me if sworn in existed with the death card in 2022 they would probably be touring with like knocked loose and like i don't know bane that would make sense to me. But they like did the it kids too that early. like bane now <laughs> would like the death card no exactly because when we were when we were a band doing that kind of music at the time, like the peak of it was touring with Attila and Amir, and I hated those bands. Like I did not like Attila or Amir at all. And it, like if if the peak was that, then I didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I can't blame you, man. I mean, I, look, look, I am partial to a, a little bit of Amir stuff, not much, but yeah. In general, if that was like the the absolute ceiling of where your popularity could feasibly get at that era it might have i i would have been mega deflated it's just like well what's the fucking point like how how do we keep pushing the envelope if we're just being like hard capped at fucking amure 2011 tours <laughs> like no exactly and yeah. what i think is great though too is because of bands like alpha wolf because of these bands that like really just kept the spirit of metalcore alive for however long they were able to become the headliners that would take these smaller bands out who are trying to do more experimental or innovative things even you know the ones that are trying and maybe not so great at first because without those bands you literally would just have the same bands that have been headlining these tours for the past like 20 years or however long so it's cool like you know I, I love that, and it's sick to see where hardcore is, where metalcore is, how the two worlds are just kind of, like, melting into one. It's cool. It's really awesome. I love that. I love, you know, like, Loathe, for example, doing what they're doing, transcending, like, what metalcore could feasibly do, especially, like, at that time. And now they're headlining in a band. Like, Omerta's able to finally, like, tour with a really cool metalcore band that's more spiritually aligned with what they're trying to do as artists um as opposed to like for example if these bands didn't exist like omerta would tour with fucking amir which would still be cool like don't get me wrong it's just there's a very i think to your earlier point the generational thing i think that that rings true with a lot of these newer bands i feel like i don't know if this makes sense i'm going to try and use an analogy but i feel like what we were doing like villains youth forever whatever gift giver barrier sworn in it was kind of like this weird transition from like what I guess like what I grew up listening to, right? Like um, earlier metalcore shit to like Zoomer metalcore and Zoomer metalcore. <laughs> I feel like as opposed to like millennial metalcore has like a completely different energy and attitude to it. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, yeah. but yeah. when I listen to like millennial made metalcore, it just doesn't have the same sort of like fluency and like um, 
I guess, like indifference towards genres. Like there's so much genre apathy in Zoomer metalcore, whereas in like millennial metalcore, it's just not really there. I feel like a lot of those people grew up listening to heavy music, going to heavy music shows, and they just made heavy music for heavy music music fans because they were strictly almost heavy music fans. Whereas like for younger generations, we were like we grew up on like everything. We had music streaming, we had you know YouTube, and we were just so um, exposed to all of these different styles of music from such an early age that that same sort of um, experimentation just wasn't present. And the only bands that were, like I said before, were like Attila and Amir, which don't really embody the same kind of spirit as like what I'm describing as like Zoomer core. No, I, I think in terms of, I don't know if you're familiar with them. I suppose you probably would have more of a right to be familiar with them than I have, than I am rather. Uh, I have the uh, fucking uh, like the quintessential Zuma metalcore band right now to me is From Joy. Really? From Joy? Have you listened to From Joy? I mean, they're from Houston, so of course I know. Them. Yeah, I wasn't expecting I feel like, that. <laughs> I think I think I right now you were going to say static like, dress, and I was going to be like Max. No, they're not a metalcore <laughs> band. They're not a fucking metalcore band. But they're know. fucking. Um, but like From Joy have this like eclectic mix of like fucking weird trancey shit and also they have this like hard as nails big fucking angry metalcore sound and it's just like this the 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 weirdest mix of shit but it definitely harkens to what you're saying like sort of like a uh it definitely strikes me as a group of people that grew up in the age of like streaming they grew up watching things like anime rather than you know whatever else people you know wrote about back in back in like the early 2000s or whatever it was like they they write about weird eclectic shit and it shows that that's what they grew up with rather than you know this i i don't know maybe it's something to do with the fact that a lot of the bands that uh, that are more prevalent nowadays start a lot younger than a lot of the bands did back then like i feel like Someone like Linkin Park, like I'm pretty sure they were all at least in like their late 20s when they started that band. Well, so like, regarding Linkin Park, they actually started it right around like high school, uh, right when they were entering college under the name oh, really? Zero. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, Linkin Park saw success with Hybrid Theory when they were in their mid 20s, like 25, 26. Yeah. But they had already been at it for so long doing like the same thing. Um, but I mean, on the uh, From Joy point, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of that band. I don't okay. hate them at all, by any means. I think they're cool. I'm just not huge on... Uh, no, no, no. Like, I totally get what you're saying, and I, I completely agree. It, they are emblematic of the phenomenon that I'm describing as, like, Zoomer core, which mm-hmm. I think is actually defined more by how extremely online we are now and yeah. how young we are when we become um, extremely online. Like, I was terminally online. Same. And I feel like you can definitely hear my terminal onlineness in the music that I make, especially like you know when you hear a lot of these other bands that were doing similar things at the same time. We were all kind of like we all watched a fuck ton of anime. In fact, we watched anime together a lot of the time. Um, we um, we were all inspired by weird rap music, you know, electronic music, pop, whatever. Um, so yeah. I think From Joy, though, specifically, they, they're more so influenced by like a couple specific genres that are kind of seeing like a, 
I guess like a second wind in mm-hmm. the Zoomer generation with like a break core, for example, which is just like jungle and drum and bass. Um, I mean, there was break core prior, but it was a completely different thing. So they're doing that whole thing with like metalcore, post hardcore stuff. I guess I'm just not crazy about them like musically. Like it doesn't okay. scratch any itch for me in particular. No, I think it's great though. Like it's it's cool for like what it's trying to be. On I'm paper, just it's not... cool, but in practice, you're not big on them. Basically, it's the the feeling. Well, I guess in practice, I think it's cool. It's just not my thing. If that makes okay. sense. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. You can still appreciate yeah, it yeah, even yeah. if you don't listen to it yourself. Kind of right. Yeah. Touching on that, I suppose I, I kind of there was something I really wanted to ask, which is like, in terms of being influenced and listening to a lot of like experimental stuff or like rap stuff growing up this the stuff that you hear on window like these i get you call them in they're not interludes but like i guess you could call them interludes between the heavy stuff like um uh grief and frigid like they're weirdly emblematic of like lo-fi and cloud rap stuff that <laughs> what while while i think that you can i don't know if you'll offer for a good reason or a bad reason here but like but like look that stuff was i feel like in terms of the mainstream of it you were like two and a half years ahead of the curve like the sound that you were going for there is like i heard that shit on like joji's debut stuff in like 2017 that was like two and a half years after widow and i was like i heard this on a fucking like metalcore project (laughs) like two years ago i guess regarding those two specific tracks um it's really funny because I obviously like lo-fi wasn't really a thing back then. Um, I think what actually was proto lo-fi was more defined by artists like, uh, do you know, new Jabez? Yeah. So I think new Jabez is like the perfect example of like what eventually became known as lo-fi, which is essentially just like, um, very basic jazz chord progressions, usually on a piano, sometimes with guitar, whatever um played over like boom bap hip-hop beats um sometimes with like you know more like electronic like trap instrumentation but usually with like um boom bap hip-hop kids um so it's funny because i was actually just trying to make that like i was trying to make like a new job as type song um and then i sampled a few things because prior to widow i was actually in a rap group and i was I was a producer uh, for that rap group and I also rapped, but um, I made a lot of our beats and we were just super into um, proto lo-fi, I guess. Like I was, um, I was a huge fan of, do you know, I don't know how like, I don't know how knowledgeable you guys are of like boom bap or like that weird, like hip hop sound in the late 20, early to uh, late 2010s. It was I like, mean, um, yeah. do you know Stone Still Records? Uh, sounds familiar. I don't know. It. So Stone's Throw Records has artists like, um, do you know, MF Doom? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it was really defined by like um, that whole like wave that I was super into was like um, MF Doom, Flying Lotus, Toki Monster, Sam I Am, No Saj Thing, uh, Daedalus. It's, it was like this weird, jazzy, like amalgam of like hip hop, electronic music, like I said, jazz, funk. And I just wanted to make my own version of that, but I lacked the skill set to do it as masterfully as they could. 
So I made like a really like basic version that was more inspired by like new job is. And then I just sang on it because I didn't know what else to do over it. <laughs> it was originally going to be Fair instrumental, enough. but um, I just put uh, some vocals on it for, um, I don't know. So it wasn't too boring and frigid uh, regarding the cloud rep thing. I was actually trying to make like a Raider. Do you know Raider clan? No. So Raider clan was the group um, started by space ghost perp um, in the oh. early 2010s. And they had, um, they had just a bunch of different rappers in and out of the group that, that they were affiliated with like Rob Banks, Puya, Nell, uh, Denzel Curry, um, Young Simi, stuff like that. So that's kind of like what I was into at the time. And I was trying to like make that. But again, like I didn't have the skill set to like make like a Ronnie J beat, for example. So, <laughs> so I just, I just tried to make something like that. And um, I just put like the lyrics are all just like Houston rap illusions and metaphors so i was just trying to do like a like tribute to my hometown and also like use some of their sound but it, it, that's really all it was at the time which i mean if you think about it and you follow those artists that i was inspired by to where they would be now that became do you, do you guys know about funk music uh, a little bit not not super knowledgeable on it but yeah so i guess like that was like proto soundcloud rap and like funk and then for the lo-fi thing, it was just proto lo-fi, which is really weird to think about. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, no, it was, it was cool. That's all it really was, though. It was just sort of like you mimicking uh, Nujabas and stuff like that without, like, without the proper developed skill set to do so, but it ended up coming out as this thing that would end up taking off like two or three years down the line. Like, right, because I like, think all those artists... <laughs> Because I think all those like lo-fi artists, they're definitely fans of like that kind of music, like the new Jabez. Um, and then what's the other guy named? Like DJ Owakari, I think. Like all of those guys were making this kind of music way before I did anything like that, like early 2000s, right. some of them in like the 90s. They're just kind of the ones that were able to take off because of the advent of the internet and the way that music is digested now where people just play like five hour mixes of lo-fi beats. So um, yeah. that's where the genre is at now. Like this is yeah, yeah. not a thing before. It was literally just timing. Like, I feel like I was just so online that like these artists that I'm referencing, by the way, they weren't that big, but there was definitely this contingency of a lot of like extremely online people who listened to them a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I was just one of those people who, along with like tons of other like younger people, had just discovered them, and like that was it. And I think that that's kind of where they started to see their, um, I guess, where like a like the first taste of where they would end up being. Like now, for example, like that's where it started. Because I remember basically like all the music that I got into was informed by 4chan and the uh, music board on 4chan. And that's you were a Mew where... Core kid. <laughs> oh yeah, I was much more than Mew Core. I was a full-on 4chan kid. So... Oh. <laughs> yeah. Fuzz to say you fell deep down the rabbit hole <laughs> and you pulled yourself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not not so much anymore. But um at the time, definitely, like just that's what informed everything. Like my worldview, my uh, music taste, like everything. 
if you really think about it, or I guess if I think about it, a lot of the stuff on Widow was just me like being way too immersed in these like proto incel, like super <laughs> self hating like school shooter type um, communities <laughs> online. Skip <laughs> so posting. It's just fucking, it, yeah very it's very it's an interesting <laughs> background on that i suppose i that i that if, if anything that was not what i expected to be the background of widow <laughs> no yeah, yeah 4chan message board uh rhetoric <laughs> yeah but like i mean it came out in an artistically tasteful way i think somehow so that's at least a positive to that i suppose but yeah well yeah i mean i think when you're that kind of I think a lot of these people, at least like I can only speak for the people that I was engaged with at the time, they were just largely misunderstood and misinterpreted as people that they really weren't. But they leaned into the misperceptions that people had about them in an effort to like further alienate themselves from others, you know, as a result of whatever insecurities they were facing at the time. And for me, I kind of wanted to like, embody that in the music that i was making because these were real feelings these were real people real things that happen and i don't think a lot of it was captured correctly and i feel like now a lot of people that talk about these communities in hindsight or even the ones that are contemporaneous they consider them more as like this like weird like cartoonishly evil like group of people just you know conspiring to hurt women and like hurt themselves and do all this crazy joker shit but again like i can only speak about what happened then because i don't know what that state is currently i think it but, has gotten uh, worse but yeah <laughs> it's, it's definitely yeah. it's definitely gotten worse for sure i don't know how much worse though but at the time though it was definitely more sincere like this was definitely like a real community of people that came together to convene about problems that they were facing um, regarding their family, their love lives, whatever. And being anonymous kind of allowed us to engage with each other in a more honest way. And as a matter of fact, I don't talk about this very often, but because I was so informed by like message boards or image boards, I guess, and like this kind of like really weird, obscure way of communicating with people, it was really difficult for me to assume the identity of the front man for the band for the longest time. So I had to wear a mask and I you had the to scarecrow go thing. Right. Like I just, yeah. it was literally because I could not be public. Like I just, I had such an aversion to assigning or associating my name and my face with anything. I hated myself. I hated the way I looked. I hated my name. I hated everything about me. So having scarecrow was my way of like being a non <laughs> while also like being the front man for a band. That's literally all it was what led to you eventually well not fully dropping it of course even through point oblivion you wore you know a sort of half face mask but what led you to adopting like the vincent void moniker as opposed to scarecrow dropping the balaclava putting on like this cool like, zippy mask and uh and just kind of revealing yourself a bit more like what led to that within like the year and a half between those two releases yeah so i guess like seeing the impact that people or seeing the impact that widow had on people especially like younger people um after touring for like a couple years and just like seeing the reception online i realized that there was a lot more to being a frontman than i was willing to take on 
uh, I guess like responsibility wise and seeing, okay, this sounds ridiculous, but there was a comment on a video on our song called slime. And the comment went something like, I can tell that scarecrow is Asian because of the way he's squatting. And I was like, yo, what the fuck? How the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And then there were all these comments. There was like a little discussion going like, yeah, he's definitely Asian. Look at that squat. That's an Asian squat. And then someone was like, oh, yeah, I've seen his eyes. He has like Asian eyes. And I was like, shit, man. And it's funny. (laughs) It, It was funny because that was definitely a huge consideration of mine. I was super insecure about my race. And I didn't want people to get the wrong idea just because they weren't looking at a white guy singing these lyrics Mm -hmm. and it's it's something that like i grappled with for a long time in my life just like my racial identity obviously like i wanted to embed that in our artwork or in our visuals somehow but i was never fully like comfortable or confident in just like being that person but i decided you know what i think i just need to suck it up when I was growing up, Mike Shinoda and Joe Hahn from Lincoln Park were like people that just inspired me to, I mean, first of all, I was getting my ass beat all the time at school because I was Asian, which is weird because I, it's not like I went to school in like the 50s or something. But yeah, like even now, like yeah, in like the mid 2000s, I was getting my ass beat for being Asian. And I was like, you know what, if I'm going to be this guy, I might as well just try and like take on the responsibility of representing my race and my identity um and also like god it was so fucking annoying i used to get compared to filthy frank all the time because we're both like mixed race asians and for whatever reason people think we look similar (laughs) no it's it's hilarious it's hilarious so i was compared to filthy frank all the time and that also just made me hate like just like uh putting my face out there because then people can be like oh he looks like filthy frank (laughs) <laughs> I'm so sorry in retrospect for comparing you to Joji. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. No, that's okay. No, the Joji comparison, the Joji comparison happens whether I like it or not. Because after Filthy Frank, right? And I was just Vincent Void, then the comparisons were, oh, you look like Joji. <laughs> because by that Fuck point, sake. Joji was a thing. <laughs> it was super I mean, weird. For the for the full disclosure of anybody who's listening to this, I was not comparing <laughs> Vincent to Joji because of a racial profiling. No, no, definitely, no, no, no. this is the, it was the low fire rap thing. But yes, I yeah. um, I can that that's uh, an interesting thing. <laughs> the fact that people just totally uh, yeah, one they... clocked you and then went, oh, by the way, you kind of you kind of remind me of Filthy Frank. That's crazy. It's yeah, just when they, wild. When they clocked me, I just had to lean into it at that point because it's like, what else can I do at that point other than just wear it proudly? Because it's clear then that I was just running from myself. And I felt so much shame with the idea that I would be running from myself despite like having this really privileged opportunity to like say things in music and then have people care. That's like, it's a crazy thing for anyone to care about anything that you do, anything that you say, but even more so when it's people that don't know you. And, you know, full disclosure, I should then just let them know, hey, by the way, if you're a marginalized person of color, I'm right there with you. If you're mixed race and you have like weird feelings about that or whatever, I'm right there with you. This is me too. I dropped the 
mask, but I didn't want to drop it entirely just because I still... Well, I mean, there was that. Like, I still felt weird with the anonymous thing, but I also just, like, I just... I have a lot of insecurities about my physical appearance, and it's just something that I've always wrestled with throughout my life. has nothing to do with, like... I mean, it's obviously probably a product of a lot of things that have happened throughout my life, but at this point, it's just... Like, it's a thing that will probably be a constant until I die. And I think that's that's how it is for a lot of people, especially those who, like, grew up extremely online. And, like, not, like, TikTok online, not when you're, like, putting your face everywhere <laughs> for, like, yeah. thousands of videos for, like, millions to see. But, it's like, people... Opposite, really. like, no, exactly. Like, people who, like, stay at home on their computer on 4chan or, like, going on the dark web or whatever. Like, that's that's what I did my entire childhood and my formative years. So, yeah, so it's I. just something that happened. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fucking hell. Um, I wasn't expecting this kind of deep introspection of my, uh, of my teenage years. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's weird how you see these things influencing your adulthood, but in hindsight, I can see how like all of this eventually manifested in like different insecurities that I had or whatever, uh, personality traits that I possess as an adult. But I digress. Basically, the half mask was just kind of like me embracing my identity more, but not being fully comfortable with, um, I guess just like the way I looked, but being comfortable enough to be like, yeah, I'm Asian. <laughs> you got it's me. Like, you get, you get the eyes and <laughs> that's what you, <laughs> you get. You get the eyes, yeah. you get the hair and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you, is there anything you want to say on that? Cause I did. Have I was going to say the name thing too. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so actually the name, I was going to go by my Korean name, which is Chan-hee. So I was just going to have people call me Chan-hee. But then I realized, wow, this name doesn't sound like appropriate for someone making like metal music. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's literally it. It was just Chan-hee doesn't sound appropriate for a metal musician. So I'm going to pick something a little more appropriate. So, so I got... Where did come from? Yeah. It was... um. So do you know Final Fantasy? I I know Final Fantasy. I I've not. I don't play Final Fantasy. Yeah. So okay. It depends. It's quite yeah. a broad series now, so it depends where we're, right, we're right. dabbing into it. There's a character named Vincent Valentine in Final Fantasy yes. VII. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was uh, it was Vincent Valentine, and then I add, I added the extra e just to parallel the dark and dark complex, and then mm. um, it was also this anime called Ergo Proxy. Uh, it's like a cyberpunk like dystopian anime super influential um i was super into like cyberpunk throughout my life it had a big influence on like the dark complex visual stuff which i mean i won't go off on that right now can definitely but, um, see that <laughs> yeah uh vincent void vincent uh the name was his name was vincent law he was one of the protagonists and um i think it was like the last episode or like one of the uh final episodes it was called goodbye vincent eye of the void or something and that was the episode title and it was kind of where this guy vincent was revealed to be this like weird um like um autonomous ai creature thing he was like this like crazy i'm not gonna go i'm not gonna get into it basically he was like the creator and destroyer of this new planet and he didn't know for the longest time. He just thought he was just some normal guy. But throughout the series, like you can see these weird aberrations in his personality and like gaps in his memory. And come to find out, he's like this 
crazy weird like quasi deity and i just thought cool these are cool names <laughs> so i just amalgamed them taking that yeah <laughs> that's cool um well everybody had some sort of moniker within dark complex at that point didn't they like you had moth tracy yeah and and uh those moth tracy or... linden rook and oakage who then changed his name to heaven yeah um <laughs> did you want a little explanation about those I suppose, yeah, or just like uh, <laughs> what the what the intention was with the uh, with all the with all the nicknames. Yeah, so there really wasn't anything too significant about the nickname thing. I guess like when we started the band, I was like very adamant about being pseudonymous, and I thought it'd be cool to sell the other guys on it by being like, I think okay. Well, first of all, the idea behind Dark Complex was it'd be structured less like a typical metalcore band where there's like the front man and then there's like the four guys and it'd be instead like the the guys who all matter and are all significant and they all have their own personalities and their own characters and like if, if you don't relate to vincent boyd you might relate to moth tracy or whatever like a boy band i guess yeah um and we were all super down for it obviously and it's also cool because we were all super into like soundcloud groups at the time and you know, with Sad Boys, for example, you have Young Lean, and then you have Young Sherman, and then you have Young Good, and whatever. And we just wanted to have something like that, where we all had our own unique identity, and we all brought something unique to the table, but we were all under the same umbrella. So I didn't want to see Dark Complex as a band as much as, like, a group. But obviously, that's not... Like, that perception didn't work out, because, I mean, the music we were making, for one thing... And I guess, like, the amount of effort that we put into branding ourselves in that way, um, it was definitely lacking. I also think we were just a little too um, ambitious for our own good. I think it definitely was not going to work out, considering we weren't, make, we weren't all making individual music. But by the time Point Oblivion rolled around, and because the initial incarnation of Dark Complex, everyone had different names. Well, there was Scarecrow, Oakage... And then it was Mothjaw, I believe. And then the drummer was fuck, I don't remember if he had a name. I think it was just I think it was just Cameron, but I don't remember if he had a name or not. No, 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 he did, he did. I'm not gonna repeat it. I hated it. It was <laughs> it was I think it was it was Papa Cam's jam band. And I remember thinking like this sucks. This name is fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rest in rest in peace, Cameron. But Jesus Christ, man! Like, yeah, I, I remember know. hearing about that. That's fucking awful. But yeah, it was yeah, it was horrible. I'm not gonna get into it. But um, no, 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 of course not. Yeah, yeah. The uh, second incarnation of the band, we we all had different names, and it was more to lean into the SoundCloud thing. So Lyndon Rook was Lyndon's artist name, and also like their persona for the band. Like these two things were one and the same. Um, Oakage turned into Heaven. That was trevor's preferred name for his artist stuff and also just like for the band same thing with Mal tracy and that was pretty much it hmm. well i guess touching on that i guess I, I i would as someone from the outside looking in i say as someone who paid attention quite a lot during the rollout of point oblivion that did all come across i would like you to know that that it did all come across the individual branding the fact that pretty much everybody got their own little spotlight on the record in some way or another um especially vocally everybody's doing something well i, feel, I think everybody was doing something but um like w with point oblivion you got you, you obviously went in a, a bit of a different direction but it meant that 
kind of everybody got to shine in their own little way. And, um, you know, in, in the, uh, in the spirit of honesty, I remember when, when Point of Moving came out, I wasn't super sold. Like I remembered, I heard a few songs on there that I wasn't super into, but then there were always ones that I've loved. Like, uh, I love Memory Museum and Erase and, uh, Abandoned songs like that. But, um, that over time, I kind of warmed more to the ones that I wasn't huge on in the first place. And I think over time, that record has started to become one of my, like, f like preferred new metal releases of that, of, like, of that decade, I'd say. Not that there were that many to begin with, <laughs> to be honest. It's not exactly like there's a huge amount of, of solid new metal in the 2010s. But regardless, I did end up connecting with that record a lot more over time. And there was always songs on there that I... I really did. I really did love. But I'm interested, kind of touching on something you said earlier, if you could go back and make Point Oblivion the record you wanted to, what would you change versus what's on there? Okay, so this is kind of a multifaceted question. Um, at the time, actually, Point Oblivion was not going to sound like how it ended up sounding. So... Okay. I actually still have these demos. They were, it's weird to explain this to someone because like um, a lot of people aren't too familiar with what I was like drawing inspiration from. But do you like J-Rock by any chance? Uh, not like really. Harry, Harry Namuri, is it? Um, I'm not sure that name. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure who you're referring to. Okay. I mean, I... I've I've listened to I've listened to J Rock, but I don't listen to J Rock yeah, actively. But okay, okay, okay. So, for some context, I was super into like um, God, I don't know how to explain this. J Rock, Japanese rock, is like this weird. I guess like I guess modern J Rock. Anyway, I'm not talking about like um anime intro music from like Naruto or whatever. Do you like from back no, in the day. sorry. Do you mean like Polka Dot Stingray? Yes, Polka Dot Stingray. Yes, there we go. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So, Polka Dot Singray, some other artists like Gesuno Kiwami Otome, um, Koshuni, Ling Toshite Sigure, stuff like that. Yeah, it's basically just like it's like math rock with like I don't know post hardcore, and then kind of got a little like two door cinema club thrown in there sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, it's really poppy, really fun, really jazzy, funky, progressive. It's probably one of my favorite um evolutions of rock like ever just bar none um so i was super into j-rock super into like um the composer for final fantasy his music uh, nobuo yumatsu um and i was also really into um do you know band uh, get scared yeah do you know fear before the march of flames uh i would know it if i if i listened to to it i think i used basically, to get scared back in back in the day <laughs> okay so basically like all these like weird like post-hardcore bands like greeley estates fear before the march of flames sure um stuff like that get scared early bless the fall that was what i was really into um the blood brothers whatever and i wanted to make a record that kind of like fused like asian elements that you would normally find in, like j-rock and like video game music with stuff like um post-hardcore like early post-hardcore like myspace post-hardcore which strangely enough is like seeing a resurgence right now mm -hmm. <laughs> or i guess it, it like starts resurgence it's kind of kind of dying right now actually 
I mean, um, I, I would say I'd say that there is a resurgence with bands like, like we we already mentioned them earlier in passing, but Static Dress I think are kind of doing that right now. They're kind of reviving that sort of. I I think Static Dress. Personally, I think Static Dress like they caught it on like what I perceive to be anyway like the tail end of it. Like I think sure. I think bands like See You Space Cowboy and Wrist Me Razor really um, they kind of like led the charge for that wave, Definitely. and. Um, it, it it had its thing for a little bit, and a lot of bands like came out of hiatus, um, in support of this weird like second coming of post hardcore emo. But I definitely don't see any newer bands coming out with the sound, or at least like not seeing the same level of success that early CU Space Cowboy and Wrist Me Razor saw. Static Dress to me is kind of like they're they're a unique case where they were just so good. And like so solid with their marketing, their branding, the songwriting, and everything, that you couldn't help but acknowledge it for what it was trying to be and like what it was calling back to. And but now it's like I feel like it's kind of transcended that. I feel like Static, static Dress is kind of their own thing now, um, irrespective of like the nostalgia thing. But um, well, I digress. What's up? I, th- I was going to say I think with Static Dress as well. I think it's. Um it's going to end up being a generational thing, kind of what we were talking about earlier, where as much as this is a nostalgic sound that they're tapping into, I feel like a lot of people who end up stumbling upon Static Dress sort of in their teen years now probably didn't grow up listening to, like, MCR or Taking Back Sunday or Under Oath or all these bands that influence their sound. Like, I feel like this is now going to be the jumping-off point for a lot of those people. And it's now gotten... They've gotten so big that, like... That is inevitably going to happen now. I can actually speak from experience. Um, I know quite a few younger people who have found Static Dress and through them they got into like early Under Oath, Alexis on Fire, stuff like that. So yeah. definitely happening right now. <laughs> it's pretty cool. But I definitely think that they're like one of the last bands to like really see big success from that st- from that style, from that sound. But For sure. I digress. Basically what I was getting at is just when I was originally writing Point Oblivion, I was more inspired by stuff like that rather than like new metal, I guess. Sure. I feel like genre blending in general was kind of like at the core of what I was trying to do with Widow, but it was never specifically uh, new metal. Um, like, if anything, Widow actually ripped off. Do you guys know Maximum the Hormone? Yeah. And do you guys know Duran Gray? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so. Widow actually rips off uh, Duran Gray and Maximum the Hormone and I think Slipknot a couple times way more than it has ever ripped off like genuine new metal. It's just ripped off like weird like anime music that I liked growing up. <laughs> Fair and, enough. Yeah, so the new metal thing was kind of funny to me because it wasn't the intention get, go, going into it at all, like by any means. But with the next record, I kind of wanted to solidify that by making it more obvious what I was inspired by. But when I showed the producer and our record label, like the demos, which I was super proud of, they were like, what is this? Because the chord progressions that Asian music utilizes tends to um, use more, I don't know, like complex chord progressions. Mm. Uh, They tend to like, I don't know if I was just being redundant, but they tend to be more complex they tend to be a little more dissonant to the Western ear because a lot of those chords, a lot of those melodies are not really commonplace in our music. 
in the West. For example, I remember the producer having this like super visceral reaction. Like he looked disgusted when I showed him this melody. He's like, oh, that note sounds so bad. But it was like a minor nine in the key. So it made sense. It was like a Deftones note. But right, sure. the, yeah, but the context surrounding it was like not as accessible or palatable as like Deftones. So he didn't really understand it. He thought I was hitting the wrong note the whole time. I remember the label, like they didn't really get it either, but they kind of trusted us to just do our thing. I had all these demos. I had like, I want to say like 40 demos for Point Oblivion. And the only ones, which is funny because, okay, every time I ask someone what their favorite songs were off Point Oblivion, they always say, oh, my favorite songs were Wounds, Memory Museum, and sometimes it's Nothing Within. Sometimes. I think that's about it. Oh, and Abandon. And every single time... Yeah, every single time they say those songs. It's funny to me because those were the only songs that I had originally written for the record that made it to the record. Everything oh, really? Else, yeah. The other songs were all written like in the studio by the pressure of and insistence of our producer and our label basically forcing us to be butt rock. Okay, where did marking targets come from then? Oh my god, dude. Okay, so <laughs> funny story with that. Marking targets and cold-blooded. I can't, I can't speak on some of this stuff because it's legal shit that I am too frightened to get into. But basically, our producer wanted... No, we had an idea to add like two rap songs onto the record. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like Frigid and Grief, but yeah. more like um, more evolved. More trappy. more trappy. I guess like more close to what X was making at the time. XX Tentacion. Just aggressive, gritty. Right, right. Aggressive, gritty, dark, um, heavy, like SoundCloud rap music. And I couldn't get my 808 sounding like that because I didn't know what the hell he was doing or what any of those rappers were doing at the time. So I was trying to see if there's anyone we could hit up to do that. Um, Not specifically X. I was into other artists at the time, but there were a lot of artists that were kind of like experimenting with that like heavier dark trap sound specifically like um asap mob too they were doing stuff that was kind of adjacent to that and our producer was like hey i know a guy i'm not gonna say who but he knew this guy who had worked on some pretty notable records um one of them being a record by an artist who helped develop marilyn manson and his name his name runs with uh brent bresner (laughs) okay i see i see (laughs) so one of these guys an unknown entity brent bresner (laughs) one of these guys um he worked on this record for this guy and um our producer was like hey we can get him to like do something for this record and i was like cool sounds cool if it's good then we'll use it if not then whatever and that was it that was the end of the conversation I didn't think about it for like a month. And then he came back to us with, a, uh, with two beats from this guy and played them back. And do you know like um, those early Hanna-Barbera cartoons with like the really goofy sound effects? Sure, yeah. Like the weird running sound, for example. Or like the Tom and Jerry sounds. Yeah, yeah so yeah. the two beats sounded like collages of sounds like that of that quality like <laughs> turn into beats so we told we told the guy we wanted something industrial something like you know gritty 
a la Nine Inch Nails, a la early Marilyn Manson, whatever. Also, like, with a rap flair. And this guy gives us what essentially sounds like Hanna-Barbera cartoon sound effects turned into a beat. <laughs> this dude is and... giving you, like, you hit the DJ mode on the keyboard. <laughs> He's no, just, literally. Like, hitting shit. <laughs> it, sounded, it sounded like a joke. I didn't know if he was serious, either. And so I, we just told the guy, like, point blank, yeah, we're not doing this. Thanks, though. And our producer was like, hey, you agreed that you'd use this. So if you're not going to use it, you need to pay him. And we're like, what? We didn't agree to shit. And he said, well, we made a verbal agreement. And I was like, verbal my fucking ass. (laughs) So that got us into a bit of a tiff. And we didn't see the end of that for a year or two. But um, not going to get into too much more detail about that. But basically, we were pressed for time. I didn't have time to make two new beats because I was too busy trying to finish the record because I produced the rest of the record by myself. And so we hit up our longtime friend, King Yosef. Um, I don't know if you know King Yosef. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so King Yosef, he had actually been producing for X at that exact time. So he knew exactly what we were going for and he made those songs, the beats for us. But we had already recorded our raps over like something else entirely. So there's right. this like weird mismatch between like the raps and like the beats, but we just couldn't do anything because of the time constraint, and it was too late. So we were just like, you know what, fuck it, let's just let's just commit to this. Whatever. It was it was a lot of stuff like that throughout the record where we were not confident in these in the songs that we ended up with, but because of time constraints and pressures from our label and our producer and our very shoddy management at the time. We didn't really have a choice other than to accept what we were doing for what it was. So those two songs are like perfect examples of how that just all completely fell through. But I guarantee you, those songs would be 10 times worse if they had had the older beats on them. 100%. Yeah, 100%. it was it was way worse. But um, yeah, that's kind of the story behind those songs. Um, yeah, the, th- the thing is, like, marking targets is 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 it's either you're gonna like hit me through the computer screen for saying this or you might agree it's a goofy song it's supposed to be a goofy song okay and i love it for that <laughs> like i think it's fucking great i think that song is great and i have put people on point of oblivion as like a jumping on point basically for like i don't know i don't know if you could call it any style of music really but like I've just been like, if you like certain things, you're probably like this. And that's always the song where I'm like really paying attention for what they think. Because I'm like, are you going to get this or are you not going to get this? And it's fine if they don't. But like, I think I think it's just one of those songs where I listen to it. I'm like, this is hype as shit. And it's so goofy. And I love it. Yeah. But Cold-Blooded is just hard. I think Cold-Blooded is hard. <laughs> so I, yeah, uh, actually, I like that song. The, the intention behind marking targets, I mean, you got it exactly how it was supposed to be um received it was meant to be a goofy fun song a la asap ferg trap lord sure but but we just didn't have the production or even the time to like make it that and also to be honest with you i think it just stuck out contextually because the rest of the record was supposed to be a lot more fun it was, it was supposed to be a lot more like i don't know whimsical i guess but it just didn't those songs didn't make the cut and because they didn't make the cut the context around marking targets makes it make a lot less sense because it's all these serious sad songs and whatever and like really 
powerful ballads and shit. And then you hear fucking marking targets. It sounds ridiculous. But standalone, yeah, like it makes sense. And Cold Blooded too, which makes more sense than marking targets. But then again, if the songs that we originally wanted on the record ended up on the record, it would make a lot more sense. That 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 definitely makes sense to me, especially in the fact that you know you kind of wrote these lyrics and recorded them to different beats basically and then put them in with this because of a time constraint so I, I what i'm kind of gathering is basically if you could do something differently with point oblivion it's un unearth those older demos that you recorded to kind of um build a more cohesive sound to what your original vision was and then give yourself more time to actually implement and develop those sounds is that right kind of because this is why I said the answer is multifaceted, or the question rather. I guess the answer then, consequently. Because I did that with Omerta. So Omerta ah. is actually like, Omerta was basically an experiment in how I would write Widow, even like the successor to Widow, or even just like attempt the idea of that if I'd been given another chance in 2020. And that's what. I guess really inspired Omerta, at least initially, because we wanted to do something heavy, groovy, fun, new metally, genre mashy, and you know, still a huge fan of rap, still a huge fan of J rock and pop and whatever, still a huge fan of metal and heavy shit. And you know, why not try doing it again? But this time with a more informed perspective, this time with all creative control entirely in our own hands. And we made a cool record again. And that's exactly how I would have done uh, Widow if I had another chance two years later. And Point Oblivion, I think you're going to hear a lot of that on the upcoming record and future releases. Because we kind of refer to the Dark Complex Point Oblivion demos as like a repository for cool ideas that could have seen the light of day and still should, just maybe in a different form. And for my own personal music, I'm actually using a lot of stuff that I'd written like for Point Oblivion, and I'm just repurposing it for my own solo shit, which obviously I haven't dropped or alluded to at all. But when I get there, I'll get there. Right now, though, the focus is Omerta, and yeah, it's cool. I'm definitely looking forward to hearing that stuff. Uh, I mean, I, you did kind of allude to the next Vincent Void thing, whether it's under that name or not, like your, it's basically your project will be more of a spiritual follow-up to Point Oblivion in right. than, than Murder was, for instance. Even, I mean, okay, Murder is technically, by all accounts, the most spiritual successor you can get to Widow, given it's literally like mostly yeah, yeah. repurposed ideas in a different context. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear some of that stuff. And if look, if none of it's if some of it doesn't see the light of day, I'm still super interested in hearing that shit because I would love to hear like what the original ideas were for Point of Oblivion going into it. Because even as a record, I enjoy. In fact, look, I literally have it right here. I have this. Oh my CD. god! <laughs> I have the fucking CD right here. Um, and uh, by the way, to get not get on a tangent, uh, I need to get a copy of fucking Widow on CD. I know there are promo copies floating around somewhere. 
Yeah, I need saw to get my that. That shit's crazy. How the fuck did that even happen? I don't even have one of those. They got sent to press outlets, as far as I'm aware. There's like a super limited amount of them that were sent out to press outlets physically for review. This is when people still sent out like physical promos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's completely alien to me now. But like, there's like a bunch of them just got floating around. And, yeah, I wish uh, I had. Those are crazy. I, I, I wish I had one. My Our friend <laughs> Martin almost got one. He messaged somebody who had one on Discogs, and the dude was like, I think I threw that away. <laughs> I was oh like, my what God. the fuck do you mean? What do you mean you <laughs> threw it away? Um, because I would love to get my hands on that. And and look, I mean, I know it's 100%, like, given how Dark Complex ended, and um, maybe any potential issues with label or management or whatever, um, probably not possible, but one day, a vinyl run would be sick for Widow. <laughs> I would happily throw many, many, many uh, bills at you for that. But <laughs> well, actually, actually, all of these things are possible. They're just going to be a huge upfront cost from me because it was never written into our contract. So, right. yeah, basically, what I would have to do is like do some sort of like weird pre-order thing, and then hopefully get enough from the pre-orders to where I can justify submitting that order to the record label and then they'd be able to manufacture that but until then like both of our hands are tied fair enough have you got have you considered going through something like curates have you seen what curates is like you um it's like crowdfunding vinyl basically no but vinyl okay with respect to vinyl and like the uh record contract i know that okay basically i have to go through them i have to go through the oh. label i have to go through umg's uh product. i know manufacturer for vinyls and cds and shit and they're so fucking expensive it's like insane like i don't think there's any way we could ever crowdfund that <laughs> like there's no, no way <laughs> okay fa fair enough i mean yeah it's expensive as, as shit like you will be spending upwards of thousands and thousands of dollars for an extremely short run yeah and, and the chance of you making your money on back on the back on that is like minimal but like I don't know. It'd be cool. I feel like it's one of those things, it's like a bucket list thing. But at least you got CDs done for Point Oblivion, and I have one of those. And well, I, um, I'm I'm definitely do. gonna do um I'm definitely gonna do a widow thing for sure. So this is kind of like my plan. Sorry to uh, go off on another tangent. Go. I just I don't talk to people about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a very rare opportunity for me. But I have this like idea. Um, I'm going to like I I know murder isn't like big by any means but somehow murder has accrued like over four million streams total since its release and i have not promoted it i haven't done shows i haven't done anything it just somehow songs just go up in streams and my label who you know i'm not on great terms but i'm not necessarily on bad terms with they said that i can essentially do a physical run of murder which I would also have to submit an order for. But because Murder has a bit more, I guess, like current success, it might be in my best interest to like bundle them together. So it's like a widow murder like double C D thing. So I mean, I'm thinking of doing something like that. I would buy that. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, yeah. look, I fucking love the, the, the murder EP. Like no one knows is sick. I fucking I remember when I heard that for the first time, I was like, this is smooth as as hell. And I can't believe that it's like a reimagined version of a widow song. <laughs> like, it's crazy. Um, 
Yeah, I, I love that. I kind of on that actually. Um, I did want to ask in terms of the creation of of murder. It's obviously the EP kind of jumps back and forth between different genres and different ideas. Was like, was the intention with it to just like do loads of songs in a completely different way and be like, here's a collection of everything that I can do, or was did it just kind of happen <laughs> like that? I don't know what the intention was there. I'm so interested. <laughs> okay, there there were a few intentions, and that that was literally one of those things. I was just like, yeah, let me make this a little flex. <laughs> I can make I can make like fucking loud ass trap, and then I can make like smooth, almost like red velvety K-pop stuff. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then and then also here's a new metal song. Like <laughs> it's fucking <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Go yeah, on. Sorry, so that was the um. <laughs> that was one of the intentions like literally it was just to flex but it wasn't like a purposeless flex it was just like with the dissolution of dark complex falling point oblivion which i don't think i really elaborated on i'll just it's a really quick footnote we just basically we were asked to write another ep within a year even like before a year like months after point oblivion was released and we were all like what the fuck we haven't even toured off of this record that much there our label's justification was there aren't that many bands that you guys can tour with right now being that you've basically written a radio rock record and because of that it'd be in your best interest to write something that were more i guess like i don't know accessible to your current demographic the widow demographic whatever that's their Obviously. fault though wasn't it <laughs> Like, I mean, it was. It was also our manager's fault. It was also our um, producer's fault. I mean, I'm not trying to absolve ourselves of any blame, but literally in this situation, there there is a very clear um, like point where the record was turned over essentially to them, and they were the ones that dictated what we did. And if we didn't conform to their demands a lot of pressure was put on us and like we were basically like held hostage it was really bizarre <laughs> i fucking hated that it that sounds like a label situation that's a very a sadly common kind of thing that happens i think it was um, but i don't blame them entirely i blame more so the president because our A&R guy he's a great fucking guy and he went up to bat for us a lot but it was the president and our manager and our producer who were all just they were not they were not in cahoots with each other. It was just more like they all had their own reasons for strong arming us. And as, as much as it was bullshit, we couldn't really do anything about it. But I digress. Basically, when we had to write that second record, or I guess the follow-up to Point Oblivion, whether that was an EP or like a full length, everyone was frustrated. And I had actually just moved away from Houston. Um, I had moved to Philadelphia. And the guys, being that I had written like a majority of the music that had been out since then, or at that time, um, they wanted to take more of the initiative to write so they could have their names on the songs, on the records, um, I guess in a way that they felt was more honorable to them, which, you know, obviously I advocated for. I thought that'd be really cool, whatever. But the songs that they wrote were not great. And it took them however many months to write. Also, uh, Hurricane Harvey, it's a big hurricane, had hit Houston, devastated power lines, homes, killed people, flooded the city for weeks. 
leaving permanent damage. Um, and that hit around that time. So for a while, none of them had power. A lot of them were like dealing with a lot of like family stuff, home stuff, super unfortunate. There were deaths in the families for some of them at the time. It was a hard, it was a really hard time. So after however many months, they turned over a few demos. I thought I thought they were pretty bad, but obviously the the label would be the ones deciding if it were good no, good or not. And I didn't want that onus to fall on me because obviously I know that I have an implicit bias, and right. like I'm used to writing dark, complex stuff. I need it to sound a certain way for me to be satisfied. But that's just me. So when they wrote it, they showed the label. The label was like, "Hey, this kind of sucks. Can <laughs> can you guys like do it again, or can Christian maybe help you guys?" And so they're like, fine, sure, whatever. I wrote a song and I showed them how to write it over like Skype or something. And I remember the service was dog shit and they couldn't really like follow along. My computer was lagging a fuck ton. And they were just like, yeah, this is cool. I think I understand like how to write a dark complex song or whatever. Like for me, I wasn't even thinking of writing a dark complex song specifically. I was just like, what would I want to write now? Like, what would I want to write as a follow-up to Point Oblivion? And I was super into X, Ski Mask. I guess like members only in general. I was super into um, Kamiyata, um, like all those like underground rappers and shit. And um, I was like fusing that with new metal, I guess. And like J-metal, J-rock, whatever. But just like yeah. in a more like um, mature way and they tried to emulate that after i wrote my demo and so i showed my demo to the label and labels like yes this is great all right guys i just want more of this can you guys do this great and that was it so they were off on their way they did their own thing emulating what i had done with the uh demo and they made like i think it was like five songs or something i I actually have a dropbox folder of all these songs and Mm -hmm they showed the label at, at our next call and our label was like, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> and that's when I guess I feel like a lot of them just felt really defeated about it. And they were like, yeah, this probably isn't for me because I want to make music that I'm happy about and I'm proud of. And I want it to be something that is associated with me, the artist without the biases that maybe you have or our label has already as a result of years of working with you. I was like, you know what? That's fair. That's fine. You guys do your own thing and you know, I'll do my own thing as well. So one by one, they left and they embarked on their SoundCloud careers. <laughs> and did. Yeah, and they certainly did. And they all dropped music like immediately after quitting. They quit and then immediately dropped like a fuck ton of songs. So when murder came out like three years later it was like i hadn't released anything for dark complex in so long that i felt like a lot of people just didn't know about dark complex anymore like they had forgotten about it or maybe they didn't care maybe people didn't realize why am i still following this vincent boyd guy or whatever so or even like i know that there were there was like talk of some people being like oh yeah like who even wrote all the music all these people are leaving the band and da 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 like if they leave the band, then what is the band going to be anymore? Meanwhile, I'm like, motherfucker, like, I wrote most of this shit. So <laughs> I'm not saying I was the band. <laughs> I wouldn't go as far as saying that. But I no, definitely, no. like, Wid- Widow was my baby, 100%. <laughs> that was like 
I wrote that shit when I was in high school, and I wrote that with the help of Trevor, of course. Um, but first and foremost, like I wrote most of that record. So when they all did their own thing for like two years before I even had a chance to like release anything, I was super intimidated. I was like, "Fuck, what am I gonna do now? I don't know how to do like SoundCloud shit." And over those two years, I was actually working on a bunch of stuff with Omerta. So, um, finally, I decided to uh, just like flex with murder and be like, yeah, like I write this shit. I do the genre mashing shit. Like, that's me. So, I'm there's no confusion. God. You can't stop me. <laughs> De- definitely not a music god. <laughs> I, de- I definitely still, I'm definitely still not that great. But I was definitely better than what they were putting out at that time. At that time, emphasis on, on that time. I, I don't know what they're doing now, but for what it was, I just wanted them to know, like the people who were listening to Dark Complex, like, hey, this is like the spirit of what got me into that record. Like these songs, the emotions, just distilled into different genres and expressions that better capture what the intention of the song was. Rather so, than its actual like outcome, which was you contextualize that. Uh, influence in metalcore exactly exactly so like the the emotion in desperation i felt like a lot of that was really just it was a love song it was a really sad sappy love song but i expressed that in metalcore and i felt like doing that metalcore marred a lot of the meaning that was intrinsic to the story of desperation so no one knows it's kind of like the at least in my opinion, a more perfected, like mature version of that song. Same mm-hmm. thing with uh, the piano Korean version of Grief, you know? Same thing with D.O.G. and Crows. Like, I feel like the constraints of the genre forced me to make compromises about, this, about the message and about the expression of it that being a solo artist uh, would allow me to experiment more with and make something that was more true to what its intention was originally. So um, that was definitely one of the things, you know, per what you're saying. It was also because uh, Dark Complex was scheduled to play a couple festivals before the band just kind of dissolved. And they were like, I think when the whole band had left, one of the festivals was literally like a month away or less than a month away. And I was like, hey, guys. Do you guys want to get together and uh, play these last couple of festivals as our last shows? And they're like, uh, yeah, no thanks. So I was like, fuck, Shit. what am I going to do? <laughs> you, did, um, so, you did play that one set, didn't you? You had that one set where you played Widow in full with, a, with Omerta as your band. Was that what you did? Okay, so for that, I didn't play Widow in full. I played like this weird like mishmash of Widow and Murder together. Right. Yeah, yeah. So no, it was these. Uh, it was two festivals. It was 2017. One of them was in Austin, Texas, and one was in one was in Dallas, Texas. So this is a completely and, different time. Like yeah, this was right after the band broke up. Like literally, like a month after everyone had left, was when I was like, hey, so we have these festivals. You guys still down to play them as like our last shows? And they're like, uh, no thanks. And so I was just fucked because without a band, how's I going to fulfill these festivals? And so I talked to our booking agent, and I was like can we drop these? And he's like, ah, uh, I really don't want to, especially when they're only a few weeks away. Can you get a band to like, um, learn these songs? And the whole time I'm thinking like, there is no fucking way I can get people 
in the Houston area that I know that would be able to learn these songs in less than a month. Because I don't, I don't talk to too many people, first of all. I only knew Omerta at that time. <laughs> so I was like, there's no fucking way this is happening. So I literally wrote Murder in like a couple weeks in an effort to play those shows by myself, knowing that I wouldn't have a full band to play with. So I did like the mixed genre thing because I was like, well, if I was at a show, like what would I want to hear in the audience? And would I get tired of hearing like the screaming over trap beats thing? And I was like, yeah, I'd probably get tired of that. So I'll mix it up a little bit. And I just like added some other things in there. So it wouldn't get so boring to watch. Um, So by the time the festivals rolled around, I had like this like proto murder thing. And um, I performed that. And obviously it was received okay. Like people weren't really moshing for it or anything, but still it was kind of like my first taste of one being solo and two of like, Oh, I can do this. Like this can be a thing that actually works out and I don't have to be constrained to a guitar, bass and drums. So it was, it was born out out of necessity. It was born out of like a desire to like flex. So people knew like, what I did and they knew that I wasn't just some guy like screaming into a microphone and also because I needed to make something impactful enough for people that were dark complex fans to justify liking right because I knew that people wouldn't like murder I knew they wouldn't like Vincent Void given that they had so much invested in this idea of like dark complex as a metal band or a rock band or whatever even if that's not how we perceived ourselves i knew that that was the impression that we'd given them and as such i needed to work equally as hard to convince them that i could make music that was just as good for different reasons even if it meant for different people so what ended up happening was i lost a lot of those fans i actually kept most of them but then I ended up gaining way more fans who were like a lot younger, like TikTok kids, I guess now, <laughs> and like um, K-pop fans, yeah. yeah, like K-pop fans, like SoundCloud kids or whatever, who are way cooler, way nicer, <laughs> way more oh, yeah. open-minded. Yeah, way, way you know, less like our oh, slash metalcore judgmentally fucking. If this is different, I fucking hate it, kind of thing. Literally that, right? But at the same time. I still was able to open up like a new world of music to people who had literally only listened to like sworn in villains and widow like their entire lives. So it was cool. That was basically murder. I, um, yeah, I definitely, I remember when that came out, I was like, I listened to it. This is just like personal tangent, I suppose. But like, I remember listening to that. I saw it dropped on, um, I was on the way back from practice with my old band. Um, and I remember listening to it on the train back, and I've been, I've been listening to like metal all fucking day. I've been fucking screaming into a microphone, whatever. And I was on the train, and I fucking put that on, and I was like, you know, this is this is exactly what I need to hear right now. I think because it was like it was it was show, it, it recontextualized a lot of like my favorite songs, uh, you know, from from like the 2010s era of metalcore, as because Widow genuinely is like one of my favorite little. If, I guess you could say it was my favorite EPs of all time. I'd say it's one of my favorite metal pieces of the 2010s as well. Um, yeah. If I kind of recontextualize that and in, in sounds that I kind of wanted to hear more then, like I, I definitely uh, nowadays lean more towards stuff like um, like K-pop 
and I like a lot more like rap and trap stuff nowadays. And um, I, I still listen to a fuckload of metalcore. I can't lie to myself here, but like I remember hearing that, and I was like, that that intention of like this is where all the influence came from. But these are like fundamentally these are the songs that you heard like five years ago or whatever the gap was. That's literally and, uh, it. Yes, I I. It worked for me. It really worked for me. And I mean, I, I, I think, especially no one knows that that was like the one song in there that like truly I was like, oh my fucking god, yeah, that's that's what I want to hear. That's like exactly what I want to hear right now because it reminded me of something like um, there's a uh, I, I I don't know. Are you familiar with much K-pop? Are you kidding me? <laughs> okay, good, <laughs> good. That, perfect answer, perfect answer. Um, no one knows. Reminded me a little bit of that Wendy solo song written in the stars. Have you heard that? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the kind of smooth. Um, obviously, I think I heard the Wendy song afterwards, but like now in my head, I'm like, oh shit! Like that's that kind of smooth K-pop sound that I really, really like. Um, and I don't know, like. I, I fucking I love that shit. So yeah, that's that's my whole tangent. It's yeah, I like it. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's basically it. And I think your intention with it definitely came across. Um, I'm so as someone glad. who loves who loves both EPs. Like there's like yeah, I'm so glad. Um, I, I hope you don't mind. I was actually gonna comment on um something that you briefly mentioned, like the spiritual successor to Widow, which obviously you know murder seems like that. I guess. What I meant by that was what Point Oblivion was supposed to be is what right. I would write after murder. So So what's coming next is that kind of intention. Right. So like if you if you perceive these like for me in my mind, it sounds ridiculous, but I like I see two parallel timelines. There's like the widow point oblivion timeline and there's like the murder and then this thing timeline. Mm -hmm. And I'm not like this isn't a reimagining point of oblivion at all. This is actually just all completely brand new songs. Some of them are like you know, songs that I took from the Widow Point of Oblivion repository. But for the most part, they're all just completely brand new. And it's more of what I wanted to do when I was in my early 20s, but just did not have the skill set to pull off. And it's, it's heavy. So there, it's, it, it is like first and foremost like rock. For mm -hmm. sure. Um, there is like, you know, screaming, there's everything like that. But it's not supposed to be new metal by any means. It doesn't sound like new metal. I guess a lot of what I'm saying right now will make a lot more sense when you hear like the new Omerita songs, for example. Because we've kind of like I don't I don't know if this is like too like grandiose or whatever, but we've had this intention since the dissolution of dark complex to kind of like do our own thing, like as a group, like as a, as a group of friends, as a collective. Um, and part of that was in an effort to, I guess, just help each other out because when you're making music that sounds a little different, people will always try and relate you and your endeavors are, back to the closest i guess sonic relative and you know having dealt with that before i feel like omerta's new stuff is probably going to meet the same fate and i feel like a lot of people at, at first they're not going to know what to do with it 
I know this sounds kind of ridiculous, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm like psyching myself out for it too much, but it's, it's going to be weird. And I think a lot of people are not going to know what to do with it. And they're just going to lump it into like whatever banal categories they've assigned in their heads for music. That's a little heavy, a little melodic, a little like J rock adjacent, whatever K pop adjacent, but it's, it's its own thing. And for it to exist as its own thing, we have to make more music by more artists that that sound can fit into and amongst. And as such, if Vincent Voigt drops a new record that would make sense sonically with like the new Omerta stuff, then it won't be, oh, the new Omerta sounds like, I don't know, Vane or CU Space Cowboy or whatever. It would be, oh, the new Omerta sounds like Vincent Voigt sounds like Daniel's gone. Who's uh, the artist that they're touring with, for example. And like all these people are like lumped together. So I guess like, it's like, like forcing the creation of a little scene just so we can make sure that people's perceptions about us are, um, accounted for and Mm -hmm. that they don't get the wrong impression and lump them in incorrectly and i think like um it might even be like harmfully with bands like alpha wolf sure yeah so it's kind of like it's kind of like insurance to make sure that that doesn't happen (laughs) but um yeah i think we're doing our own thing it's kind of like what i wanted to do with dark complex definitely a lot better i think but it will make a lot more sense when you hear it. <laughs>